My name is Laura Warren, and I have attended uh, Shore Church of God for 15 years. So we came to this church because at three years old, Kelsey started inquiring about God, and um, I felt God was tugging on my heart that we needed to find a home church to raise our kids in. And I was pregnant with Hayden at the time. So we searched, and we went to several different local churches, and we came upon Shorewood Church of God, and it just really felt like home. We ended up staying because it was very family-oriented. Um, we stayed because um, it was friendly, and the kids really enjoyed kids' church, and Pastor Eric's messages really spoke to us. 2015 um, was at my lowest point. I was um, emotionally, mentally, and physically struggling. I was frustrated with life. I was frustrated with my family. I was frustrated with myself, with God. Um, I felt prompted to go to the women's conference with Lisa Easton. And that day was very emotional, very liberating, and very freeing. I made a conscious decision to really follow God and um, seek His guidance in all aspects of my life and to remember to change myself. I can't change anyone else, but that if I change myself and I seek God for His answers, then I know that He will guide me in the right direction. Prior to the Women's Conference, or maybe it was around the same time, Kelsey had started worshiping in church differently than I'd ever seen her do before. It was something that I had always wanted to do, but I was afraid to do. Um, she was raising her arms, and she was worshiping, and it really touched me. Seeing Kelsey uh, openly worship and experiencing Women's Conference and opening up and exposing all of the junk that I had been harboring for years uh, really allowed me to um, be free and allowed me to be who I am, who I've always been, but I've been hiding because I'm afraid of what other people think. I started attending a small group after women's conference that did just that. It allowed me to work on me. It opened and healed many wounds that I'd had for years. And I had made so many connections with uh, women in the church that I never had before. I truly can say that I have friends that I can turn to in the time of need, and they are true prayer warriors. I have also seen the power of prayer work almost overnight in my own family. A situation that I didn't think was gonna turn itself around, turned it around literally over a weekend. So God is good. God is so good. All right, welcome to week two of Disoriented. Before we get going, I just, I wanna, I wanna pray. So if you join me just in, in prayer this morning. God, um, we come before you this morning with stuff. For some of us, this was a week, a week we don't really want to remember. God, I don't know what's going on in the room. I just feel the urge to pray. And so right now, Lord, I just, I just corporately lift all of our hearts to you. I lift our, our minds to you. I lift our souls to you. That our verse for today would speak, would be our prayer this morning. That you would have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings 
until the disaster has passed. May that be our prayer this morning. God, that you would wash over us, that you would, that you would soar over us, that we would hide in the shadow of your wings this morning, whatever we're facing, whatever that looks like. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, we have, um, this is week two of Disoriented. If you're like, oh no, we're in week two, I totally missed week one. I don't know where we're going to be at. I'll catch you up. It's okay. Uh, this has been a really, really uh, interesting uh, message series. A couple of things from the video. If you, uh, we're, we're, we're doing each week, there's a person that has a disoriented video. That may or may not have anything to do with the message that is being taught afterwards. It's the disoriented thing that I want you to get a hold of. Okay. So next, this week, we're talking about what happens when you're disoriented and it because of something that happened to you. Next week is something, if you're disoriented, because of something that you've done. And everybody's like, well, I'm not coming next week. I don't want any guilt trips. <laughs> but um, we're going to have a very, very, very poignant, very poignant uh, video next week. Um, it has nothing, but the person who's in the video did nothing to deserve what happened in, in the video. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and lay, lay that out there. Um, but I don't want that misconception because often we, everything builds to the point of the message. The disoriented videos are really just to get you to know uh, people in our church a little bit better and how that everybody goes through disoriented stuff. Is that is that clear? I, I just kind of uh, want to make sure that's, that's okay with everybody. But that's what, what we deal with. You know, Missy's talked about that in the, in the promo video. She's like, we're, we're real people. We don't have it all together. We come to church sometimes like, hey, I've got it all, my life's falling apart, but I'm going to act cool for this hour. I can hold it together for an hour. Sometimes we can't hold it together for that hour, but um, that's not who we are. We've all got things, right? From the chairman of our board to anybody else in the church, we've got stuff. We have these moments. We call them disoriented. Where's my marker? To being disoriented, right? And I often, I always thought discipleship looked like a nice little stair step because this is what I got taught in seminary and in Bible school, college, right? You come here, you meet Jesus, then you go here, then you read your Bible, then you go to a life group, and then you do this, and then you do this, and everything's fine, and you're on the stairway to heaven, and you can't listen to Led Zeppelin's song because that would go against holiness, but we're on, a, we're on a, you know, we're, we're here, and we're good to go. Like, that's how it's all been taught to us, I think. And sometimes this is the expectations. I start going to church, and my life's going to go boop, 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 and we're going to be fine. Now, for reality, this is what discipleship looks like. Whee! Something happened in my life. Now, I can either draw closer to God, make some good decisions, and, and work towards God. And, but then there's another disorienting event. There's only, not only one disorientation that happens, and they're like, oh, I'm good for the rest of my life, right? That's not true. I bet you, if we plotted our lives out, we've got a disorienting event that happened when we were teenagers. We've got a disorienting event that happened about five, ten years later. Then we got another one, and then we have another one, and we have another one. But discipleship looks like this. Well, now I made, I got, I'm disoriented. I don't know about God. He apparently wasn't faithful anymore. And woo, I'm going to go back down this way and make some bad choices. Now I have another disorienting event and we, and then I make some better choices. And then I make some better choices. And then I make some better choices. That's what life looks like, right? Can we, can we just be honest? That's what happens. And so as we examine the disorienting events of our life, how are we positioning ourselves so that when we come across these disorienting events, we're making the right choices and starting to work our way I don't, 
up and to the right because we're Americans and that's defined success, right? But how are we going up? How are we doing that? That's what we need to be concentrated on in our, and so we've talked about in this series being disoriented. And what does it feel like when life is just kind of going, wee? We've also talked about how there's good disorienting events. If I won the lottery that I don't play tomorrow, that would be very disorienting. I wouldn't know what to do with $200 million or whatever the, the pot is up to, right? But there's also bad disorienting events like the loss of a loved one, a marriage falling apart, sickness, illness, just tension. There's all that kind of stuff. There's, there's the bad disorienting events as well. But what are we going to do when life feels like we're spinning out of control? How are we going to react to that? How are we going to grab a hold of God? How is our prayer going to be, God, have mercy on me. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Does this make sense? So that's where we're at. That's, that's what we covered last week. We covered this week. We're doing this by examining a really famous guy in the Bible. He's probably number two or number three in, in the Mount Rushmore of the Bible, if you will. His name is David. And we, all, we, know, uh, we know of David. Even if you've never grew up in, in church, you, pro- you might even know about David. Uh, David is the all-star superhero type figure of the Bible. And so as we look at David, there's two books in the Bible, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, that really chronological, uh, chron- I don't know what word I'm searching for, really about his life. Here, I'll say that. They're really about his life. And if you read 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, if you are a middle school, junior high, um, or high school boy, and you're like, man, the Bible is boring, read 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and uh, call me in the morning. Okay, because it's not boring. It's like, what? It's like the Lord of the Rings portion of of scripture. Um, It is just this really fun trip of, wow, what is happening? And all these battles and people's heads getting chopped off and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, You can tell what I read in high school. Okay, so um, but first first and second Samuel is all about it's basically a movie about David. The really neat thing about this time period for David is at the exact same time that's that all this stuff is happening. That we're watching all these amazing world events happening, these battles that David participates in. We have a book in the Bible called Psalms. And Psalms is basically David's diary when all these crazy things are happening. So, I mean, so that's, it's, it's beautiful. It's kind of like we have the letters that George Washington wrote his wife in the Revolutionary War. And you can go, oh, yeah, the battle happened here, and the battle happened here, and the battle happened here. Blah, 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 blah. I'm in history class. But then you get to read his correspondence, and you're like, oh, now I get to see what's going on in George Washington's head. Same thing's happening here. If you do a little, a little more studying, a little more prying, you get to see what's happening in David's life, what's he actually doing, and then how does he feel during, when these things are happening. And that's in Psalms. So I just, it's, it's wonderful that these things are included. And David's really one of the only characters, people in the Bible, that we get this in-depth look at. Uh, Jesus, we get to look at his heart a little bit more um, in his prayers. When you, when you see him praying for somebody, Moses is the same way. Um, but often it's like we just get a list of the things that they're doing. We don't get to see what's really behind the scenes, what's really going on in their heart. And so uh, as we explore this disoriented today, I want to uh, kind of put that lens on it. We're getting to see David in real life, what he really feels about these situations. The story we're talking about today is found in 1 Samuel chapter 24. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, there's Bibles underneath your seats in front of you if you need a Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to take one of these home with you. Um, That's totally permissible. Um, If you have 18 Bibles at home, all collecting dust, don't take one of our Bibles. 
Um, you don't need another one to collect dust, okay? Um, but if you can promise it's not going to collect, collect dust, take one of these Bibles with you. Uh, but 1 Samuel chapter 24, and then uh, Psalms chapter 57 is the Psalms we're going to be uh, referencing. So if you want to put a finger there, Psalms is right in the middle of the book. 1 Samuel's to the left, probably about 100 pages. In 1 Samuel, we get to see what's going on in the, the disorienting event that's happening in David's life. Last week, we talked about how uh, David is hanging out. He's becoming this hero. People are singing songs about him. He's thinking he's pretty hot, hot stuff. And what happens is Saul gets upset with him, takes a spear, tries to pin him against the back wall. That's a bad day at work. I don't know about you, but anytime your boss picks up a spear and chucks it at you, I think you might need to be looking for other employment opportunities. Right? So uh, this is what's going on here. And so David goes out and he's, he's running away for his life. And, and, and Jonathan, which is Saul's son, is David's also his best friend. He's like, dude, your dad's trying to kill me. I don't know if he used the word dude. Okay, but there you go. Dude, your dad's trying to kill me. And she's like, no, no, it's fine. It's okay. And so they have this thing going back and forth. He's like, no, your dad really is trying to kill me. And they have this heart-wrenching moment where they, they separate. Because they are, they are like blood brothers. They are so close to each other. And so they break apart, and, and David's dealing with that disorientation. And this week, he's still running away from Saul. He's running away from Saul. He's trying to kill him. The worst grievance that David has done to Saul is being a cocky 20-year-old. Now, I'm here to tell you that if our mode of operation was to kill every cocky 20-year-old, we would have a population problem really, really quickly, Right? Like, that's, that's basically what David's done. He's gotten a little full of himself, but now we're, we're trying to kill him. And so David's leading this group of people, and what, what this looks like is David is, what's happening in the scripture, I got way too many dry erase markers back here. Um, and if you've ever been to men's ministry, you're familiar with me starting to draw this map, okay? So this is Sea of Galilee, this is the Jordan River, and this is the Dead Sea. You've got mountains going through the... This is the Mediterranean. You've got mountains all through here. And it's a mountain range that goes on. On this side is the nicer part of Israel. This is still what we fight when you hear different words like Gaza Strip and, and all these West Bank and all these different things. This is the nice part. This is what everybody wants. This part over here is like um, outside Tucson, Arizona. Just junk. Like it's terrible. Like, it's just terrible, terrible, all this area. So um, this is very inhospitable. In, in, in fact, this water here, you can't drink. It's the biggest lake in the area, and you can't touch it. That's got it. That's just like one of those, like, ha-ha. <laughs> like, you can't, you can't drink this. It's, I was at the Dead Sea, and I was 18 years old, in a fortress called Masada. It was a palace of King Herod's. And it was 120 degrees outside. You're looking out from the palace. You can see the Dead Sea. You can't drink any of that water. It's 120 degrees outside. I have the benefit of being able to drink water bottles and all this stuff. I can't imagine being in that fortress, being surrounded by soldiers. Like, but I just want to go for a swim. It's anything. It's, it's terrible. So where David has been run off to and his 400 men is he's basically going, finding caves in these mountains and kind of staying ahead of Saul and his, his, um, his army and his spies. And so Saul's handpicked about 3,000 people. 3,000 men, the spy said, we know where David's at. He's right around here. Let's go get him. And so Saul brings 3,000 people and tries to trap him and find him in, because uh, 
David is going from cave to cave. He's like, okay, here's a cave. We can let our sheep eat all the grass that's here because there's a little water coming out of this cave. Now let's go on to the next cave. Our sheep can eat the grass in this place. This is what he's, he's just running back and forth and letting the, the grass regrow so he can feed his sheep. It's very easy to track where he's going. There's only so many caves, so many water sources that he's going to be at. So Saul's like, let's go get and kill David. So this is what's happening in his life. He didn't do anything on his own. He didn't cause this. This is all happening to him. He's now not responsible just for himself, but he's responsible for 400 other people. Let's talk about you know, ratcheting up the pressure. Like if I was just running on my own, that's okay. But now I'm the leader and I've got to feel the weight of being responsible for 400 other people's lives. That, that, that's, that's rough, right? It's just that, that weight's on his shoulders. And he keeps on running, and he keeps on running, and he keeps on running away from Saul. Well, we find in the story that Saul has, uh, is kind of is getting closer and getting closer, and so David's hiding in the back of a cave. And so that's where we're at. What happens is one of the most interesting happenings in the Bible. Saul goes into this cave. All the guys are outside, probably drinking at the brook that's going down the river, or down the, down the mountain. And Saul wants some privacy to use the bathroom. And Saul goes in the cave to use the restroom. So while Saul's in the bathroom, or Saul's in the bathroom, Saul's in the cave using the restroom, David and his buddies, and now this is one of the reasons you see the 20-year-old David, they're like, hey, you can go kill him right now. And David's like, no, 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 no. You, you see this, like, slapping of hands back and forth, right? Yeah, yeah go kill him. No, no, shh, right there. This is how my brain works when I read the scripture, so very welcome. <laughs> um, and so they've got this back and forth going on, like, kill him, kill him, kill him. He's like, no. And so David gets this bright idea. You know what I'll do? I'll go cut off the corner of his robe. So you can see, like, Saul's doing his business. David's army crawling up to him, cuts off the corner of his robe, and then sneaks back in the back of the cave. Saul goes out, out to his business. He goes back down to his, his army. And then David, after Saul's come out, because you don't want to actually fight somebody in a cave because you can stand there, like, three people across. It doesn't matter if you have 8,000 people. You got three. Only three of you can fight at a time. So... No one's going to fight David in that cave. So David feels secure where he's at, and he comes out, and he's like, hey, missing something? And that, that's what happens, and so this conversation happens. Uh, but the fortitude it took for David not to take revenge at this moment. Like, David has been anointed king of Israel, and his decision is, no, I'm not going to come out with his head in my hands, which would have been very easy. This is a kid who killed Goliath. Killing Saul's not going to be a problem, Right? Just, woo, look what I did. Hey, guys, you all want to serve me now? Or it's a perfect time for a military coup. But instead, he says, hey, I got a piece of your robe here, buddy. It's humiliating for Saul, but it's not his life being taken. What is going through David's mind through this time? Because my mindset is, I want to kill the guy. I want to hurt him. I want revenge. I want destruction. He has taken my best friend. He's, he's destroying my life. Like everything that I had, I had fame. Everyone loved me. And now he's just destroying my whole reputation. I want to get back at him with everything I can. David's response in this moment, Psalm 57, 1 through 3. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. How many of us know that disaster doesn't have to be a hurricane? That a disaster can be a person? 
That a disaster can be a relationship, a, a disaster can be an addiction, a disaster can be something else. Hide me in the shadow of your wings until this disaster has passed. Some of you need that as your prayer this morning. I cry out to God, my most high, to God who vindicates me. He sins from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. Pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. This is not what I want, David. I want vengeful David who is cranky so then I can feel validated in my own crankiness. Right? But no. David is in this terrible spot. He's running from cave to cave. He is a wanted criminal man, unjustly wanted. And what does he do in it? He's like, God, protect me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. This is an attitude shift that it's hard. What can we learn from this? David drastically, it has a drastically different approach in dealing with his disoriented. He spares Saul's life. I don't know how many of us in that same moment would have spared Saul's life. What can we learn from him? We have to work through our disorientation by pressing into restoration, not destruction. Work through our disorientation by pressing into restoration, not destruction. This is hard. This 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 is tough. And what we're really talking about is don't seek revenge. Seek restoration. Work through disorientation, this crazy, when life's going crazy, by pressing into restoration, not destruction. And this is the, the, the point that we're, we're talking about on our little board here. Is when we're spinning out of control, we want to make snap decisions. We want to make decisions that will just get us out of the spin cycle. No one likes to be in the spin cycle. But if I make this choice to make, take revenge, where is that taking me? It spins me in a direction. I don't know if it's a direction I want. But when we choose and press into restoration, it it draws us closer to God. Does that make sense? Because we all go through these windmill-type moments. Maybe sometimes on a monthly basis, a weekly basis. If you have kids, it's like an hourly basis. Work through disorientation by pressing into restoration, not destruction. David says in Psalm 57, Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. How do we do this? We choose wisdom over instant gratification. We choose wisdom over instant gratification. Choose wisdom over instant gratification. This is tough because I'm a fan of the microwave. Right? A lot of you guys got like the instant AirPods for Christmas. So it's like crockpotting something in five minutes, you cheaters. That's not how this works, right? You've got to wait all day for that food. Uh, so you got to hit the smells. I got, a, I got a smoker for Christmas, which is kind of mean because you can't use the smoker until it starts to get warmer outside because I ain't standing out there and putting things out in the snow all over the place. But I got a smoker for Christmas, and I can't wait to start that. But the, half the best part of smoking is the whole saliva issue for the six hours before something's ready. You know, choosing wisdom over instant gratification is the same thing. You've got to purposely choose to withhold your decision quickly. Purposely, hold on. What are all the facts? What is all going on here? Instant gratification means, ah, I hurt you. I feel better for a second. Right? Choosing wisdom over instant gratification. This is David 
having this argument with his buddies in the back. <laughs> this is just a funny scene. You kill him. You kill him. You kill him. Choosing wisdom to say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. No one lays a hand on the Lord's anointed. Why does he do this? I think this is very interesting because if you look through all of human history, you've got this idea. If you look at kings and how they came to power and how they exited power, if you do a study on that, any king of any country, kings that came to power through violence, exited through violence. Kings that came to power peacefully, exit through peacefully. And so Saul is the very first king of Israel. David does not want to set the precedent. If I'm going to be the next king, you know how I got it? I killed somebody. How does that mean I'm going to exit? No, I don't want my throat slit. I don't want to be poisoned. That makes sense. You go, any kingdom ever, it almost always works that way. If you came through an assassination attempt or a coup through assassination, you're going to exit through a coup through assassination over and over and over again. Instant gratification? Yeah, we'll kill him. I'll be king. Here, this would be easy. I'm going to take his head out there. There's all of his troops. Who are you going to serve, the dead guy or me? Well, the, the one living is probably a good choice. Right? All this running. He's got another, like, 12 years of running out in the desert ahead of him. He doesn't even know this part yet. He's got another 12 years ahead of him running around the desert before he can become king. It could have been his then. But instead of destruction, he chose restoration. First Samuel 24, verse 6. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Oh, man. The temptation would have been to strike. The temptation would have been to hurt. But instead, he shows wisdom. Second thing we do is revenge is a way we reach for control when we are disoriented. Revenge is a way in which we reach for control when we are disoriented. Because revenge says, if I can hurt them, if I can destroy them, then I can get back at them and I have control over some sort of aspect of the situation. That's what revenge does, right? That's, that's why we're motivated. Oh, they hurt me. I'm going to hurt them. Ugh. The sad irony of revenge, and when we think about how we can hurt somebody and we, we, we fixate on that, is they're still controlling you through all your thoughts being about revenge. Right? And maybe they don't even think about you. <laughs> You're only hurting yourself. Revenge is the way in which we reach for control. It's a very human reaction. I want to hit strike back. I want to hurt back. I want to have some control over this. But it really would only bring us pleasure for about a minute. Then we have to live with the results. How does David react to this temptation for revenge? This, This is beautiful. He chooses haunt honor. Instead of anger. He chooses honor instead of anger. He chooses honor instead of anger. How hard is that? Against the person that is driving you nuts, the person that's harming you, the person that's hurting you, the person that's ruining your life. He chooses to honor instead of anger. This is, this is amazing. First Samuel 24, verse 8. Then David, this is right after he cut off the, the piece of the robe. Then, and I don't know if he's still wearing the robe or he thrown it over to the side. I, you know, I wasn't there, but uh, there we go. The David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord and my King. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David has been on harming you? The day, this day you have... Sorry, you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. 
I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down and trying to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. This is a blueprint of how we deal with when we've been wronged. I, th- I think what, what David is doing is, is really, really, really uh, just beautiful and deep in the way in which he, he can even constructs this conversation he's having with Saul. First thing he does is he honors. What does he do? He doesn't say, hey, jerk face, I had you. He doesn't rub it in his face. No, what does he do? He prostrates himself. He gets on the ground all the way and puts his head down like this. The guy's trying to kill him, and he says, you know, I'm just going to bow down to you. He calls him Lord and King. He gives him all the honor that he deserves, more honor than he deserves. He lifts him up in front of all his men. This is a credibly humiliating event. I have cut some of your clothes off while you were going to the bathroom, sir. So in, in front of all of your men, I could be like, this guy is a, why would you follow him? I could have killed him. Instead of doing that, he lifts him up. He calls him my Lord and my King. Everyone there, those 3,000 guys, the 3,000 people in the army can't say, oh, David's pretty shady. He does some jerk stuff. They can't say it anymore. They see it. David is not committing treason. He's calling him Lord and King. He's, he's reverent in front of him. But then he holds up that, that, that piece of cloth and says, hey, I had you. I didn't do it. I'm not that kind of guy. I had you, but I didn't do it. I just think that's amazing. And then he calls him father. Did you see that? Did you hear that when we read it? He calls him father. He doesn't stay with the Lord and King stuff. He doesn't stay far off and all formal calls him father why are you doing this he's married he's actually his father-in-law and he's he's best friends with his son he's, what are you doing dad i come over and i eat your oatmeal cream pies you don't try to kill me what are you doing and so he's he's hearkening back to that that relationship that's there but then he does something very smart he sets the, how the the tone of how the, the relationship's going to work from there on. Did you catch that in the end part? He says, listen, listen, I'm not trying to kill you, but let, you're going to be judged for what you're doing. I'm going to live my life my way, but there's no, I'm not coming home. I'm not, I'm not finding my identity. I don't want to be part of the king's court anymore. I'm not going to have any more spears thrown at me. You're going to do you. I'm going to do me. But know that I am not going to raise my hand to you. I'm not going to try to kill you. I'm not trying to start a civil war. We're not doing any of those things. But he sets clear boundaries. Sometimes in our lives, when we're dealing with people that we've got issues with, when we've got stuff that are spinning out and they're the cause of this, this orientation, we've got to set some clear boundaries. This is who you are. This is who I am. We're going to be okay with that. If there's animosity between it, you know, it's a, you're going to be there. I'm going to be here. We're going to do, we're going to do that. We've got to work through our disorientation by pressing into restoration, not destruction. David doesn't get his value by being the most popular person at the king's court. He doesn't get his value from that. He gets his value by being hidden in the shadow of the wings of God. That's where he finds who he is. Not by 
playing the politic game, not by trying to get in good graces with Saul. Like, in our day and age, it would be so easy to be like, oh, cool, Saul, we're back in. We're, you know, we're, we're good. We're going to forget that whole spear-throwing incident. You're going to forget the whole, like, me running away with Goliath's sword part, right? Like, we're just going gonna to gloss over that. And then some weird politic thing would have been happening and backbiting would have been going on and all this politic stuff going on in the background. And Jonathan would have been a pawn between Saul. Like, all this, you know, soap opera junk, you know, Game of Thrones would have been happening here. If, we, if, if David wouldn't have been the more mature person walking in wisdom, and choosing to walk in restoration, not destruction. So often we find ourselves in maybe relationships that we keep on going back to because we're not willing to set those clear boundaries because we find our self-value and our worth and whatever they think about us, and we're not willing to, to pull ourselves away from it. Saul holds the power. Saul holds the money. Saul holds the influence. And David wa- wants to be a part of that because he wants to be king. But he's saying, no, 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 I'm going to pull myself away from that. My identity is not in Saul. It's not in the songs that are written about me. It's not in the treasure I get. It's in God. For some of us this morning, as we deal with our disorientation, the question needs to be asked, where am I finding my value? Where am I finding my self-worth? If my disorientation, I don't know who I am right now, I don't know what's going on, and all these things are happening in my life, I've lost my job, or I've gotten this illness, or whatever's going on, where is my value coming from? Is it coming from my paycheck? Is it coming from the car I drive? Is it coming from the things I get to buy? Is it coming from my position at work, or is it coming from God? Those are hard questions. But as we come out of our disorientation, we latch on to something. Make sure that we're latching on to God. As David goes through the desert, the literal desert, being chased for his, running for his life, his diary states, have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. When everything you want is revenge, may your prayer be, God, have mercy on me. Let me take rest, safety, warmth in the shadow of your wings. When we are disoriented because of what has happened to you, may you find rest in the shadow of God's wings. Let's pray. Worship band, come on up. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time. Lord, there's so many of us who deal with a disoriented event. Maybe this week, maybe this month, maybe it feels like all of 2018 so far has been disorienting. God, we ask to, that you would hold us, that you would have mercy on us, that we'd be able to hide in the shadow of your wings, that this morning would be a time in which we put down our, our quest for revenge, put down our quest for control and look to you. For some of us, God, that is a huge ask. That is so hard to do. God, some of our wounds are so deep. Right now we lay them at your cross. God, I don't want to carry these wounds anymore. I don't want to carry these issues anymore. I don't want to be controlled by my mistrust. I don't want to be controlled by my hurt feelings. I don't want to be controlled by the baggage I have in my past. Right now, Lord, I want to lay that down at your feet. 
God, take this life. Craft it and mold it and shape it into what you want. In Jesus' name I pray.